Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. You know, I was saying to some of the members of the choir that they really bless us in two ways. They bless us by the beautiful worship that they give us every Sunday, but they bless us because they're in front of us. And I feel like it gives us more of a sense of community when part of us is up here facing the other part. You know, there are some denominations where they do that all the time. It's called the Quakers. <laughs> We're not quite as quiet as they are, but, uh, but we are connected to one another, and that's something they help us to do. My name's David Bryant, and my wife Robin and I have been a part of this congregation for over 30 years. I was thinking about that this week and recalling how this church was founded at this very spot almost 300 years ago. And then the thought came to me, that means we've been here for over 10% of the history of this church, which was rather intriguing until it finally reminded me how old I'm getting to be right now. <laughs> Listen, before I share anything else, I just want to encourage us, as I did a couple weeks ago, that we give ourselves every day to pray for Jeff and for his family during this uh, time of absence. And let's pray that God will pour out more and more of uh, his glorious riches in Christ Jesus upon them according to, to all of their needs. I also want to ask us to pray for Pastor Audrey. I've spent a good bit of time with her in recent days, and I just want you to know who this person is that God has brought to us. Highly gifted, um, with spiritual wisdom beyond her years, with a real love for this congregation, but above all, just a deep, passionate devotion for the glory of Christ. And she's the right person here at the, just the right time. So let's, let's continue praying for her. Now, we're starting a four-part series, as you may have read if you got the information this week, called Shifting Sands. Actually, the title and the four passages we're going to look at were already chosen by Jeff before his uh, leave of absence began. So we're just sort of following the trail that he wanted us to follow. And as you're going to see, we're, we're going to look at Psalm 40 today, then Psalm 16, Psalm 34, and finally ending up this short series with Psalm 71. And as we thought about this, Audrey and I decided we wanted to set three goals for every one of these four messages. So when you hear her next week, she'll be shooting for the same goal I am, same three. First is this, we want to help each other see how others who have faced the shifting sands of life cried out to God. Secondly, we want to explore the ways God responded to them and how he will do the same for us whenever we cry out to him. And third, we want to discover, most of all, this is most important, discover how the promises of each of these four psalms are powerfully fulfilled for us today through the person, the mission, and the reign of God's risen son. If you wonder what my topic would be for Psalm 40, I would say, I would call it moving from shifting sands to a reigning rock. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. So here's a picture that's uh, been in my office since about 1983 in a little frame. It was given to me by a university student at the end of a weekend university conference in Southern California. I've been speaking all weekend, and she brought this to me uh, on Sunday before students departed. She had found a frame somewhere, cut this out of a magazine she had with her, and put it in the frame and handed it to me and said, David, I think this picture summarizes everything you've been saying to all of us during this weekend conference. 
And I, I, I kept it because I, mean, I don't even remember what I said back then in 1983, but I felt like this really says everything about the gospel. This is, this is the whole ball of wax. This is Psalm 40 in one picture. Because what you've got in the foreground are shifting sands. That could be a desert. It can be a, a beach. You know, it was like to walk in wet sand or to walk in dry sand, even if it's at a slant. You don't feel very secure at times. So that's what's in the foreground. In the, in the background, of course, is a rock. This picture is off Southern California. This actually exists. So here's this rock, massive rock. And we're going to talk about moving to the rock. But, I, but, but the thing that catches me is that there is, a, there is a doorway carved in that rock. And you can see by the sun shining through, there's a lot more beyond the rock. And that's why I say moving from shifting sands to a raining rock. Because when we move to the rock, which is Christ, we don't stop there. He isn't just a fortress. He isn't static like a rock in that sense. But rather, he brings us, secures us, and then opens to us a way of life that we can't even begin to imagine until we leave those shifting sands and move toward that rock. So you're going to understand a little better before I'm done, I hope. I want to read to you now some of the verses from Psalm 40, which you'll see on the screen before you. The, the writer says, and imagine, this was written maybe, I don't know, almost 3,000 years ago, and it feels so relevant. He says, oh, Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. My only hope is in your love and faithfulness. Otherwise, I perish. For problems far too big for me uh, to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have all caught up with me, and I am ashamed to look up. My heart quails within me. Please, Lord, rescue me. Quick, come, help me. I waited patiently for God to help me. And then he listened and he heard my cry and he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out from the bog and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock so to steady me so that I could walk along. And he has given me a new song to sing of praises to our God. Now many will hear of the glorious things he did for me and stand in awe before the Lord and put their trust in him. Oh, Lord, my God, many and many a time, you have done great miracles for us, and we are ever in your thoughts. Who else can do such glorious things? No one else can be compared with you. There isn't time to tell of all your wonderful deeds. You know, all the psalms were written to be sung corporately in the temple. Even those that are more personal like this one were written so that all the God's people could say it together. That's why I read it with a little bit of emotion, because we need to hear the Psalms coming out of the passion of one person, but really in the end being raised up in passion by a whole congregation who understand that what he's experiencing is what they've experienced and what you've experienced. There's a lot of your life that we just read about, and we want to we wanna talk about that. You know, in uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, one of the least favorite characters, uh, Augustus Goop, gets sucked in uh, through a tube down into the fudge room and falls into the chocolate river. And uh, I guess if, if you're going to have a demise, that, that's one way to go. But then a couple of weeks ago, I just read over here at the Mars Candy Factory in central New Jersey, two workers fell into a vat of chocolate, and they almost drowned until they drilled a hole, the, and they got the chocolate to drain out. And finally, those two workers were able to get their feet on the solid ground at the bottom. 
of the vat, or they would have been gone for sure. Well, here, that's sort of the kind of experience the psalmist is having. You see, life is like that, isn't it? It looks so good and so tempting and so delightful and so inviting, and we, we jump in with all of our energy, and then suddenly it turns around on us, and it, it turns around to be something very different than we thought it would be, and we feel deceived, and we feel disappointed, and we feel overwhelmed. We're in shifting sands, not where we thought we would be. Life isn't what we thought it was becoming after all. That's sort of where the psalmist is. He's feeling, feeling like he's in a chocolate vat. <laughs> and look at the words he uses. He says, I feel like I'm perishing. He feels, feels a great deal of shame about the situation he's in. He said, my heart is quailing. I'm not sure what quailing means, but I think it means it's shaking all over the place. <laughs> he says, I'm in, a, I'm in a pit of despair. I'm in a bog, in a mire. You know, chocolate vat. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. All of us are struggling with shifting sands. This isn't just the psalmist. This is all of us. Recently, about two weeks ago, the Pew Research Foundation came out with a, a new research that revealed three things of, of pertinence to us here. One is that 71% of Americans, not just Christians, all Americans, 71% of Americans said that they would like to grow spiritually. Now, Everybody has different meanings probably as to what that means, spiritual. But at least there's a desire to move on from where they are. And then the survey gave them 10 options of what ways they'd like to grow spiritually. And the two top options, they're tied at 61%. Number one, I'd like to grow spiritually by finding more peace in my life. And the second one, I'd like to grow spiritually by finding more hope in my life. And that's sort of where the psalmist is, isn't it? He's looking for peace. He's looking for hope. He's looking for a rock in the midst of his shifting sands. So what do you do with those times of fear and anxiety, which maybe some of us are feeling at this very moment? Well, there's another bit of research came out this week from scientists that the ashwagandha flower, uh, if we could see that up on the screen, the ashwagandha flower, if you take the nectar of that flower they've discovered and, and you drink it, it affects a certain part of the brain that removes all feelings of anxiety. So that's one option. Think about it. <laughs> I like the, the psalmist option, which really feels weird for most of us. He says, I cried out. You know, there are a lot of psalms where the psalmist says, I cried out. And I don't think it's a metaphor. I think he's talking about how he actually wrestled with his anxieties and his fears. He cried out. He pleads. He, he, he puts his case before the throne. He's desperate for answers. And he cannot just contain it in a little quiet prayer, in, in some little devotional moment before he heads into the day. Does that seem strange to you that Part of what God made us to do is to actually cry out. You know, this last week, NBC ran a three-minute uh, little news clip about Ukrainian soldiers, about how Ukrainian psychologists are working with Ukrainian soldiers who are on the front line who experience fear and anxiety 24-7 because they know at any moment they could be blown up. Think about living under those conditions. So they said, well, how do Ukrainian psychologists help, help these soldiers at least grapple with, tolerate this kind of 24-7 experience? 
And, and it said that, what do you, what the, and they showed us actually happening. A psychologist brings, a group, brings them off the front line, brings a group together in a circle. And then he tells them, here's what we're going to do. Of course, this is all in Ukrainian, but they had translations. Uh, he said, now here's what we're going to do. I want you to think of the last moment you felt great fear, trepidation, and anxiety. And then on the count of three, I want you to yell out with all of your strength. One, two, three. And here were these he-men, these warriors, about as tough as any human beings on planet Earth. And they just let it out, all of them together. And the, the news release went on to, to say that that really helped them to get back on the front line and keep on keeping on. Just the very act of crying out. Now, if you feel like, well, Christians shouldn't be doing that, then I remind you, Hebrews chapter 5 says of our Lord Jesus that in the days of his earthly ministry, he offered petitions and prayers with loud crying and tears. And so he was heard by him who could deliver him because he was fully submitted to him. I know he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which incidentally is the opening verse of Psalm 22. He was just joining the psalmist there. And of course he cried out at the end when he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he cried out and gave up his spirit, we're told. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, how did those disciples off somewhere know that Jesus was praying the prayers we hear recorded? Because he was not just quietly saying, Father, if it's possible. We... No, he's saying, Father, I don't, I don't really want to do this. If there's any way you can get me out of this, deliver me. And yet, quiet submission. And yet, not my will, but yours be done. It said he sweat drops like it was drops of blood. Talk about intensity. You know, at the end of every sermon, we usually are told one thing to remember, one thing to do. I'm going to give you the one thing to do right now, and then we'll go on. I, I challenge you to take the next time you're feeling anxious and fearful, and maybe that should be today for some of us, and I challenge you to find a place where nobody can hear you, and I challenge you to cry out to the Father and plead with him I mean, if you're really desperate, if you're feeling like, I want to be delivered from fear and the anxiety, the shifting sands of my life, then let him know it. Let him know it with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. I've done that many times over the years. And it is a powerful, powerful way to start overcoming those shifting sands. What did the psalmist find as he pled with God like this? Well, we read in what we just saw that, number one, he came to the confidence God was hearing him. Boy, that, that's pretty good, isn't it, to know he's not ignoring me. I know he's heard me, number one. And number two, he said, I have hope, a new fresh hope in God's loving kindness. Number three, he says, I'm experiencing miracles, but I expect to experience a whole lot more miracles. And, and number four, he says, and all of this is putting a song in my heart that's never been there before. I'm praising God. I mean, instead of fear, there's praise. And he said, number five, the best thing is that others are hearing my praises and they're joining in with me as we try to express what cannot be expressed about the, how great and wonderful are the deeds of the Lord. In other words, he says, I have found a rock. I have found a place to stand. And you notice in this translation, it says, you brought me to a rock so I can keep on moving. 
Because you see, the fulfillment of this psalm, if it happens in your life, isn't just to make you feel better. <laughs> the fulfillment of this psalm, if, if you find the rock God has for you, it's so you can keep moving. He's a reigning rock. He's going somewhere. And if I plant my feet on him, I've got solid ground, but I'm not motionless. Because you see the beautiful thing for us sitting here this morning that the psalmist could even, couldn't even begin to imagine is that we know from Scripture that Jesus claims to be the fulfillment of all the Psalms and of the entire Old Testament. He fulfills it, and he fills it full of himself. And that takes Psalm 40 and transforms it into something totally different. You know, you're outside, and somebody walks up behind you, and you see their shadow. Now, when you see that shadow, you have one or two choices. <laughs> you, can re you can try to have a relationship with the shadow and say, how are you doing? And uh, I'd love to get to know you. I mean, that's silly, right? I mean, when you see the shadow, what's your first response? is turn around and see who it is that's making that shadow. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 of the whole Old Testament, he says, that is a shadow, but Christ is the reality. He's the substance. He's what that whole, sh it's all been a foreshadowing, and now it's all alive and reality, substance. Talk about a rock. The whole Old Testament is in Christ. Remember how it was on, on Easter, uh, Easter uh, during the day, those uh, two disciples walking from Jerusalem seven miles back to their town in Emmaus, how they walked along there in Luke 24, and they were so discouraged. They said, we had hoped that Jesus was going to deliver Israel, but he's been dead now for three days. We know that's over. We've got nothing, we've got nothing else but living under Roman oppression. I mean, talk about feeling like they were in shifting sands. One moment they thought there's victory coming, and the next moment it looks like all is lost. But then we read that Jesus drew alongside of them, but they didn't recognize him, which makes sense. You wouldn't expect somebody that's been dead for three days to suddenly be walking with you. And as he was walking with them those seven miles, Jesus opened to them, as we're told, opened to them and showed them everything in the Scripture about himself. That's the Old Testament. That's the only Scripture that existed at that moment. And you remember how the story ends. I know you do, that, that when Jesus departed, the disciples said to one another, did not our hearts... Now, here we are. We're moving from shifting sand to a raining rock. Did not our hearts burn within us while he walked with us on the way and while he opened up to us the Scriptures? And those two men could not contain themselves. They couldn't just stay stationary. They ran in the dark, no streetlights. They ran seven miles all the way back to Jerusalem, all the way up to the upper room to tell the other disciples what they had just experienced. And when they got there, what did they find? They found that Jesus had, had been among the disciples during that time. He had showed them his hands and his feet. He said, look at me, I'm not a ghost. I've got flesh and bones. And when they still didn't believe, he says, give me a piece of fish to eat it in front of you so you'll know it's really me and I'm really alive. And then it goes on to say in Luke 24 that he opened up and it says, Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and showed them everything that was written about himself. He did the same for them. I mean, what was he doing? He was getting them ready to get moving. He was putting them in the rock, which is himself, so that they could do what they did for the next few decades and begin the spread of the gospel till it had penetrated the Roman Empire before that generation was passed. He was building them on the rock so that they would have secure ground in him and could keep moving. 
Jesus is the assurance that we're heard. We don't even have to guess anymore. He's opened up a new and living way. We can come before the throne of grace. We're told in Scripture, and we can seek grace to help us in our time of need. We don't have to worry. You are heard. The moment you cry out, you are heard because you're already there in God's eyes. Jesus is our hope. The psalmist says, my hope is in your loving kindness. Now we know what that is. Christ is the one of whom Scripture says, in him all the promises of God are yes to us. Think about that. All the promises of God are yes to us. There are hundreds of promises God has made all through the Scriptures, and they all now come down to Jesus, and Jesus will bring them about into every one of our lives. So miracles... Can we expect miracles in the midst of shifting sands? Oh, absolutely, if we run to the rock. I mean, we already are the greatest miracle of all. We've been born again into a living hope. We've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. You don't get a bigger miracle than the one that's already happened to anyone in this room who belongs to the Lord Jesus. But there's plenty more miracles to come because we serve a living Savior who is reigning. And we have a new song. We heard about it last week, didn't we? That's what they're singing up there. It's sort of like what we need to be singing all the time. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, who is redeemed people from every tongue and tribe and nation to receive glory and honor and riches and power and wisdom and might forever and ever. Yes, we've got a song that the psalmist could have never conceived of. And in a thousand different ways, instead of shifting sand, we need to be singing songs of the Lamb. Jesus is our rock. Paul says you can lay no other foundation than the one that's been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus is our rock. He said to to Peter, when Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said first to him, you didn't figure that out yourself. It was revealed to you. And then he said, and it's on this rock, this revelation of who I really am, that I'm the Christ, that I'm the Son of the, that I'm the only rock will ever be needed from now to eternity. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then notice, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're rock solid on him, but we're moving into the kingdom of darkness and crushing the enemy at the same time. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 2, you have come to the living stone and are being built into him as living stones. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? That's who we are. That's where we are. Out of shifting sands into the reigning rock. Well, what I want to do right now is give you three things to remember, but really it's only one, so don't panic. First thing I want you to remember, on the screen you'll see it, God cannot lead you on the basis of facts you do not have. Did you know that? That's something God cannot do. He can lead you a lot of other ways, but he cannot lead you on the basis of facts you don't have. It's impossible. Here's the second thing I want you to remember then. God cannot lead you out of shifting sands into a more rock-solid relationship with his son on the basis of a vision of the supremacy of his son, No one is giving you. 
Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing when what you hear is the message of the Christ. Christ is his title. It's his anointing. It's all about his ascension. It's all about his ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand. It's all about his initiative to bring everything in heaven and earth under himself and Lord as Lord that's going on right now. And the way I move from shifting sands to the rock-solid relationship with him is if you and I will pour into each other more of the wonders and the glories of Christ, that needs to become a way of life. And if you're struggling with shifting sands, I'm here to bet there's a good possibility that there needs to be a whole lot more Jesus in your life. You need to see him. You need to know him for all that he really is. Because there's no way God can bring you out of shifting sands to plant you on that rock if you don't know much about the rock to begin with. But here's the one I really want you to remember, and that, that says this. There are no limits where God can take you when you move from shifting sands to focus your life on the rock-solid supremacy of God's Son. We call that Christian discipleship. <laughs> Think about that, no limits. You move to the rock. You plant your life in the rock. You be built as a living stone into this stone. And then, like, like the doorway. Well, put the picture back up one more time because this, this is what I've been saying all along. You, you, you get to the rock and suddenly you see that there's a door and it isn't just about the rock itself. It's about where the rock's ready to take you. And there, listen, brothers and sisters, I don't know how long you've been walking with Jesus, but there is a whole lot more God has for you than you've ever experienced. Right now, I'm not talking about glory. I'm talking about now. And it's all in Christ. So we heard a song a few moments ago, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is shifting sand, all other ground is shifting sand. And I'd like to change that just a little bit. Through Christ the solid rock I move into a life that's firm and grand and leave behind all shifting.